for allied rivals. All roads lead to Rome. And eternal glory. to another episode of the Ryder Cup Radicals podcast. I'm the rooster, Luke Cardenine, here with the sheriff, Joel Beal. Joel, how are you? What's going, buddy? Uh, I, I like the new nickname, Better Than Sleepy. Much better than Sleepy. And then, of course, none other than bag boy Shane Ryan. No new nickname this week. you got to earn those new nicknames, Shane. I totally get it. Uh, I would never presume to want a new nickname. I still think of Joel as Sleepy, though. I'm not... I'm not off that train. I'll never be off that train, Joel. You can fool some of the people, but buddy, you're not fooling me. Well, sheriffs can also be sleepy. So, of course, they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, um, like cl- classically in cartoons, right? There's like a, someone speeding by in a car and the sheriff like wakes up and his hat flies off. Okay, I, I can give Joel that kind of sheriff. Sort of. Joel drinking, drinking his fancy coffee in his, in his police station, deciding which stories to chase down, sleeping in between. <laughs> I did get coffee shamed uh, yesterday. I went down to walk down downtown for breakfast, uh, asked for a latte, and the guy goes, we don't have that type of coffee here. Ooh, <laughs> man. Like, You're in the wrong part of town. So. Go go back to San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joel, Joel, Joel loves his uh, fancy coffees, right? What was the – you had a pretty aggressive order out in Liverpool. It was uh, – so like a latte, but with whipped, no, it was cappuccino, but with whipped cream on it, right? That was the- yeah. yeah. And, it's, it- and a little vanilla serve is not the worst thing in there either. <laughs> really? I like how really? Joel was in a real life version. Joel was in a real life version of the commercials I remember from my youth of like Pace Picante, where someone asked for the wrong kind of salsa and the Cowboys get very mad at him. <laughs> they have it in New York City, like New York City! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. So we could, of course, go on talking about Joel's coffee habits all day, but we do have some Ryder Cup stuff to get into. Um, The US side, the European side, those are really just the the two sides. But uh... (laughs) I want to hear more sides. (laughs) Get get Antarctica a team. There may be two sides, but there are multiple angles, starting with, of course, Lucas Glover, the hottest player in golf, potentially. Didn't play in any of the majors last year, but he could well win the FedEx Cup. He's on a streak of two straight. He's up to 16th, I believe, in the Ryder Cup standings. Up, yet yeah, 16th, up 19 points from the week before. 19 places, excuse me, from the week before. Joel, we are we buying in on the on the Lucas Glove to Rome train? Yeah, as you texted me earlier, are you are you on the train? I said I'm I'm the conductor. Um, it's it's funny. I feel like anytime we've brought up Lucas Glover in the past, you know, 40 hours or so, it's always been this negative connotation. I think this is a great problem for Zach Johnson to have. You have a, a, a really interesting guy, and this isn't just like this total out of nowhere. I mean, Lucas Glover obviously is one of the best ball strikers in golf for 12, 13 years now. It's just the putting was his Achilles heel. He's fixed this fundamental flaw of his, and he's turned <laughs> into this world beater for two straight weeks now just two straight weeks and obviously the Wyndham championship was a pretty weak field but I think there's also something to taking on what 200 and 200 or so golfers and beating all of them and the fact that he did it in Memphis against 
one of the best fields so far we've had this season. Um, and because of the new structure with the FedEx Cup that he'll, if he's kind of in the mix, he'll have a good chance to win at, at Eastlake. I think this is a, this, the, the short of it is people have been kind of dismissing it. Like it's nice. Maybe he's in contention, but he's still on the outside. I agree. He's on the outside, but I think he's closer than people think. Shane, where do you land on, 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 on the Glover train? Yeah, I was thinking Glover is like a Madden receiver that, you know, you look at all his attributes and his like field sense is 100, his hands are 100, all these things are 100, but his speed is like six, right? So you can't, you can't really play him. That was just playing. All of a sudden his speed is 100 and he's the best receiver in the whole game. Um, no, you know, I mean, look, in the movie Spinal Tap, the, uh, I don't know if you guys remember the name of the album that they come out with, but it's called Smell the Glove. Uh, and it's just really obscene cover, but that's what Lucas Glover is doing to Zach Johnson. He's saying, smell the glove. Uh, and, and yeah, I'm with you. And I think I'm with Joel that if this guy gets hot enough to make the Ryder cup team, great. You know what I mean? Like, great. It's no worse than Brian Harmon. It's no worse than Wyndham Clark. Right. And it's actually better because he's hot now. So, I mean, I, I just think, yeah, like you got to, at some point bring your best players to Rome, and he is right now the best player. I think he is right on the cusp. There's just so many Americans that that's his only problem is that there's so many Americans. But I mean, it, it sounds crazy to say, but like one more win, yeah. I, can he win one more time? There's only 50 people in the field, right? He certainly can. Like one more win, two more top fives, and I think you have to really, really give him serious consideration. I haven't looked at the standing specifically, to, but it, it's one of these like insane things where he might automatically like like it's just it's just madness all around but i don't think it's i think it's a good problem to have and uh he is certainly making it tough i mean yeah he's got six thousand points right now uh sixth place max homa has 8800 so okay he's probably not going to qualify automatically unless he literally wins out but I, yeah i i'd like the fact that he's there making things tough and uh giving zach johnson something to think about do so i guess think, that's in jet real quick do you think it matters does he need a win the BMW with 50 people and the fact that it's still a stroke play, or does that mean more, more than winning, let's say at East Lake where it's 30 guys and it's obviously stagnated and it's, I don't want to say uh, doesn't have as much prestige, but does it matter where he wins to make that case? It's a good question. I would say, I don't know if you agree, Luke, but I would say if he wins next week, it's really, really tough to keep him off the team, no matter what he does at East Lake almost, uh, unless he like really bombs at East Lake. If he wins three times in a row, and you've got a guy, I mean, why even have captain's picks if he's not one of them, right? I mean, like, this is this is what they're made for. Uh, so, yeah, maybe, yes. Well, okay, are you talking about Eastlake winning the actual stroke competition or winning the FedEx Cup, right? It's, it's a bit of a winning difference. FedEx Cup. Let's say he finishes pretty far down this week. Not far down, but, you know, he doesn't necessarily contend, but he still goes into Eastlake top, you know, top 10 guy, and that's still in that range where he gets a little bit of a, um, you know, a little bit of a head start over some other guys. Does that what would mean more, I guess, winning a BMW or winning in Atlanta? Winning a BMW for sure, but if he's like fifth in Atlanta and still wins, I mean that's not meaningless either, right? I mean that's pretty good. I guess this brings me back to my wonder and question for you guys is that right now it's very much assumed it's like this funny development, right? Wow, Lucas Glover is playing well. He could make the team, but he's he's almost certainly not going to. That seems to be the vibe, at least, that I'm picking up. What does it take for Glover to get into this team then or to 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 be an unpickable captain's pick? 
type situation is it the is it win or bust is it uh top five is it what does this look like i guess is is my question it's okay let me let me put it this way i, I think right now you've got the top seven are in beyond no sorry top eight because spieth is in they're in beyond any other doubt and i think the only way to answer this question is to look at his competition okay so home is now an automatic qualifying he was going to make the team anyway those guys are all good. So you got Young, Morikawa, Bradley, Ricky Fowler, Justin Thomas, critically. Like those four. So the next four for me are Young, Morikawa, Fowler, and JT. Then you've got Keegan Bradley lurking up there. I think Denny McCarthy, you know, he finished dead, dead last. I think he's done. I think, uh, you know, Sam Burns was really close to last. I think he's probably way outside looking in. So in order to get in, Glover's got to overcome two of those guys. Overcoming Keegan Bradley probably isn't that big a deal, right? He just got to beat him, and he's hotter right now. How do you overcome the other four, and who are you overcoming? Are you overcoming Justin Thomas? Like, it would make the most sense, right? Like, he didn't make the playoffs. He's had a rough year, but the problem is he's Justin Thomas. Beyond that, you got guys in Fowler. You got guys in Cam Young, Morikawa. Two of those guys are tested in these team formats and are really good. And then Cam Young's just been such a solid guy. He's a power player. It's it's so tough to see who he leaps over. The answer is probably Cam Young at this point, along with Keegan. So uh, to me, yes, Luke, to answer your question, I know I'm being long-winded here. I still just think for the optics of it, he almost has to win or finish close second or something. Joel, I, what do you think? Yeah, I, I hate to put a number on it, but he has to contend and in, in, in Chicago this week. I also think, though, what you – I mean, you literally—that was in my notes of it's—it's it's who his competition is. And of those names, honestly, the most intriguing one, outside of Justin Thomas, is, is Cam Young. He's they've had a very, very odd year. He finishes second in the match play, has a nice little run at the Open, although like T eighth, and you know he didn't exactly show up there on that Sunday. Aside from that, it's a T six at John Deere, and it's from that point on, basically three months of nothing. Um, didn't play particularly well at the at the first first event in Memphis this week, so. I know Fred Couples said on his radio show that Cam Young's in, but I mean this is a guy who all he has right now is a Presidents Cup on his on his track. Granted, this is, this is his second year on tour, but I think if one guy could be in more jeopardy than maybe we're giving credit for is is could be Cam Young. But I, going back to Glover, it I hate to say if it's not if he finishes T four, it's not like well that's done. But if he's really close on Sunday, I think all of a sudden what he does in Atlanta means a heck of a lot. Yeah, can I, I, can I just say real quick, Lou? I just want to say this is why if you're Fred Couples, you don't say that stuff, right? Like this is a good example of PR because, like, what if Cam Young doesn't make the team now, and, and Couples kind of said you do? Like, that's a little bit of a disaster there. That's that's why these guys keep their cards so close to the vest. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I it must have just been a gaff from Couples, right? Something he shouldn't have said. Realized he shouldn't have said it. Uh, Zach Johnson would have preferred he didn't say it, but. He did, and it's out there, and it's just going to create a potentially awkward situation down the line. Um, it, it is a good I, I, note too, right? Like, I, I think Couples, I believe, said it right after the Open Championship, which Young Young played in the final group there. And I guess this could be a lesson for us as well with Glover. We can, it's very easy to be prisoner of the moment on certain things like this, right? Um, like, even with Max Homa, we all love what he did last year. The President's Cup got to that great start. It has not really been that good since February. Um, no, he played well at Royal Liverpool, but a guy who we thought was like a sure thing, 100%, because of his popularity, we still kind of shoo him in there probably. But in golf, it's very easy to think the guy who just played well is going to play well for the next couple of weeks, or how could you not pick this guy? So I guess that would be the one argument against Lucas is as good as it is now, like 
it is still just two weeks. Um, but if that two weeks continues for another two weeks, all of a sudden this is a real conversation. And I, I would just I, oh, sorry, I, go ahead. Oh no, yeah. I, I guess to your point, I genuinely do land on the point of I just think form is wildly overrated when it comes to, to to these things. It is starting to get to the point where it matters. But that said, we have a pretty sizable body of work about what kind of player Lucas Glover is. I know he's playing well right now. I know he's made changes to his putting and yada yada, but Man, it's like a tall task for me for, for a guy like Glover to get into this team, especially off the back of two wins in back-to-back weeks in August. You know, um, I, I just, to me, we'll get into it a bit more later. To me, this more highlights how um, just like maybe broken the U.S. team rankings, uh, qualification system is, frankly, that we can have uh that we can have a guy who is maybe getting hot at the right time and he's still mired in 16th but then you have guys like you know Wyndham Clark did not play well (laughs) last week and Wyndham Clark is fully locked up a spot on this team officially uh Brian Harmon's about to do the same he hasn't exactly lit the world on fire outside of his open win and then it just starts it starts becoming a zero-sum game where now we start looking at a guy an informed player like Lucas Glover who may not be the best player but maybe he is the hot hand but the guys you're trying to choose between is like nestling out a guy like Ricky Fowler or Justin Thomas which is really not a situation you want to be in I think you guys would agree that you want to lock up them onto the team and then you kind of want to jostle between the informed players which i would lump Harmon, clark glover in in the same bucket in that regard but anyway sorry shane what what were you what no were you? yeah no you're that's that's 100 right and uh you know i was just going to say to glover's credit he does like before winning the Wyndham, he had three top sixes coming into that. He missed the cut at the 3M Open, but at the Barbasol, which we know is huge, <laughs> the John Deere Classic and the Rocket Mortgage, he was top six in all those. Basically, the minute this guy changed his putting, it was, it was you know, off to the races. The Azinger, Paul Azinger in 2008 was the one who made the big step toward this kind of system, and it's tied to money. And Azinger's quote was, I only choked for prestige and money, right? And so that's why they wanted to... This idea that, okay, you get paid more at the majors, you get paid more at the bigger events, we should tie more points to it. The problem now is on the current PGA Tour, I'd have to run the numbers to see if this is true, but it feels like there's a bigger gap between the rich tournaments and the sort of -of run-of-the-mill tournaments. So Wyndham Clark's a great example. He wins the Wells Fargo, right, which which is one of their elevated designated events, and he wins a major, and that's basically all he needs to do. Like, he's in because that money is so outrageous. You look right now at the standings, like, Brooks Kepka is probably going to miss out on automatic qualifying, even though he compete, he won a major and he was really close in another. He's going to miss out in those top six because the money in the playoffs is so huge. Brian Harmon, if he, if, you know, we talk about Brian Harmon, Brian Harmon, if he has two more finishes like he had at Memphis, Brian Harmon's going to get lapped too. He's not, he's not anywhere secure yet. You know, Cantley just jumped over him. Max home is not far. All it takes is a few interesting things happening in the next two weeks. And even Harmon could drop out. So yeah, the PGA Tour money that they're throwing at things leads to even more imbalance than there used to be. So I'm with you that there's probably some adjustment that has to be made there. I haven't put a lot of thought into what that would be. I think it's a tricky question. I think it's one of those things that almost like you know the, the FedEx Cup playoffs themselves, which is like throughout history, we know that we don't really like the system as it is, but it's a little bit difficult to figure out what is the system that would make everybody happy. 
Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's 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 a good point. It's also worth noting on Wyndham Clark and Brian Hum. Wyndham Clark's played twenty six times this season. He's only missed three cuts, but he's played twenty six times, and you know he's he's finished in the top twenty five, twelve times, seven top ten. So most of these times he's just making cuts and finishing in the thirty range. But of course he's accruing money, accruing points because of it. And yeah, it's it's just a bit of a I don't want to say loopholes. I don't want to be disrespectful to a guy like Clark, but it is an interesting wrinkle here that seems to be throwing things off. It is a wrinkle, but as we were discussing earlier, it's this is the one area I think we have to give the PGA of America a little bit of latitude because the PGA Tour changed everything halfway through a qualification. They're the one that upped the elevated events. And because this thing was based on money, all of a sudden now there's the, the factors of the equation changed. So while I'm sure that I think there will be an adjustment next year. The PGA of America is really put in a tough spot with it, with this change in purse. I would also push back on as much as I think Lucas Glover being in the mix is good for the U.S. I don't think he and Wyndham Clark should be in the same conversation. If you win the U.S. Open as well as an elevated event, which whatever status you want to give the Wells Fargo, it's one of the better events on the PGA Tour. You win both of those, like you're in. The, you, no offense to Wyndham's, Wyndham's, no offense to Lucas's win at the Wyndham, but that's that's not apples to apples with the Wells Fargo. And then throw on the U.S. Open, like that to me is that that's enough. See, I, I guess I just disagree. Like, if Joel, do you think if uh, like Brian Harmon didn't win the U.S. Uh, didn't win the Open? Oh, excuse me. If Brian Harmon did win the Open, but he didn't automatically qualify because of it, would you would you pick him? Is this a guy who'd want to pick for you? I would, because I, I think we don't realize how good of a year Brian Harmon has had. You know, he's finished in the top six or top 10, six times. Um, he has a couple of three runner up finishes. I think when we, when he won Liverpool, we were making the argument of <laughs> this is actually the best thing because he's a guy who doesn't have that name recognition. So maybe there's not, it's not as easy as a pick if he's six or seven, but the fact that he's autumn or seven or eight, but the fact that he's in the top six, that actually like kind of takes the potential issue out of Zach Johnson's hands. Like this is exactly the type of guy you would want to go to with Rome with. So I, yes, I, I think he is more, more than deserving of this. Um, I, I know the strokes gained are the most favorable to Brian Harmon, but if you look at the last six, seven months, they've been pretty good. Um, and yeah, he doesn't play on every, every venue doesn't necessarily set up to his game, but what, how Rome's going to be set up, I think this is a, a tailor-made fit. Yeah, I guess I just don't think winning a major should automatically get you in. I would love to have to pick a guy like Brian Harmon, is, is my opinion. But if you look at strokes gain, if you just pick the teams based on all the pick, the top six spots by strokes gain, the US team has uh, Scotty, Patrick Cantlay, Zander, Homer, Ricky, and Morikawa in that order, right? In the top six. That, to me, absolutely makes sense as a as like the core of your team during a Ryder Cup year. Instead, you're going to have to end up picking one, two, three of those six because you have guys like Brian Harmon winning the Open and, and Wyndham. Wyndham ranks below Justin Rose in strokes gained this year. And everyone's talking about Justin Rose being a questionable, a questionable player on the European team and a potential weak spot. Yet he's the guy who's already... Uh, locked up his spot on the U.S. team. And so to me, that just, it, it doesn't quite seem like it matches up. Shane, you look like you're about to say something. Yeah, I, what I would say is that your 
your way is logical. It would be like the very analytical way to do it. And I mean that in the sense of like, you know, sabermetrics, analytics, that kind of thing. The problem is, shouldn't there be some, you know, prestige beyond, you know, if you win a major championship, shouldn't that count for something in the Ryder Cup? Don't you want the major champions in there? And I'm not saying all the time. There are examples like, you know, Phil Mickelson won the PGA the year of Whistling Straits, and he didn't make the team. There are exceptions when somebody really comes out of nowhere and flukily wins one and then does absolutely nothing the rest of the year. But yeah, I think I I think I would go on the side of I, I want a little bit of prestige associated with this when it comes to the Ryder Cup. I want, want it to count for extra points if you win the Open Championship because look, I mean, like yeah, you can say, oh yeah, look, he was number six in strokes gained, and I think that's great rationale for a captain's pick. But winning matters too, right? And and the sample size of a Ryder Cup is so small, and it's you you kind of ha- have to have like guts in that match play situation, right? And I almost think like, Luke, what you said before, like form doesn't matter as much. You know, someone like JT, you might want on the team just because he's been so good in his format before and he's got such a kind of, uh, you know, bold sort of courageous style. That's what you want in the Ryder Cup. And that's also in many cases what it takes to win a major championship. So I don't mind tying the two of those things together and saying, I'm sorry, but winning matters more than finishing fifth and strokes gained or something like that. And, and riding off that, it's how they won. If at least we're talking about Brian Harmon and Wyndham Clark, Brian Harmon, Saturday went against Tommy Fleetwood in front of a crowd that was about as hostile as you're going to get in an open championship venue. Basically took it to Fleetwood in the crowd. Wyndham Clark won with, I mean, you look at that U.S. Open board, it was loaded with talent, and everybody on Sunday at LACC was pulling for Ricky or Rory. Not saying it was hostile, but it was a very weird, like, we do not want to see Wyndham Clark win. Lucas Glover basically has to win at Wyndham to keep his tour card or to, to get into the playoffs to go. The fact that he then won in that pressure situation, those are three situations I feel like are nice cauldrons of pressure. In fact, they all pass that. I think it's a good thing. Uh, I don't know. I'm just looking out for you guys. I'm just trying to get you. I'm just trying to get you the best team. And right now, Brian Harmon ranks 39th in strokes gained point zero zero eight strokes ahead of Justin Thomas. But where right? does he rank? Where does he rank? About having a terrible year. Oh my God, sky's falling. What are we going to do with Justin Thomas? He is basically equal as in terms of ability this season as Brian Hart. I think and, maybe, Luke, you need to look at a little stat I call heart gain. Buddy. <laughs> That's right. Strokes gained heart. Yeah, I know. Strokes gained, <laughs> strokes gained heart. Strokes gained, strokes gained gumption. Harmon is number one. Who, who, would you, who would scare you more over Harmon? That would probably be on the outside right now for the U.S. if you're a European fan. Oh, who would scare me more than I mean, I'm just not that afraid of Brian Harmon. I don't know how else to say it. Like any number of players would scare me more. Like Tony Finau is actually super good in strokes game this year, relatively speaking. He ranks 12th on tour of all players in strokes game. If you did my system, my 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 brutal but fair analytics forward system, Tony Finau is likely in this team automatically. And that to me is a more scary prospect than Brian Harmon. Um, I think Joel, Joel, even if we disagree with Luke, I think we can agree that, like he said, he's always looking out for the best interest of the U.S. team. And we can <laughs> we can appreciate to have somebody like that in our corner. Listen, I, I'm I'm an impartial observer, but I'm literally typing an email to Brian Harmon right now that Luke is not one from the team. He should make you should make T-shirts where Luke wear around in Italy. You should you should write an editorial in the Guardian about Luke's disrespect for Brian Harmon. That's right. Uh, well. Bryson's not going to make it, sadly. He would be quite scary, actually. But anyway, this does actually lead a little bit because on my end of the spectrum, there's the 
peak fairness, you know, let's just go by stroke average, basically. And then on the other side is this like lots of captain's picks so you can pick your cronies. And Shane, you kind of alluded to this in your column. We'll get to the European stuff a bit later. But I am starting to wonder if, you know, a guy like Glover is playing really well, may well be the form player in golf right now, yet he's on the outside looking in and it's sort of assumed that JT and Ricky are going to are gonna get picked over a guy like Sam Burns and Keegan Bradley and these guys who qualify ahead of them. And I'm just wondering where the line is there, I guess. Like, how do you navigate that line between picking what you know and who you may like and also working in some of this small, like, anti-captain pick, play your way in style players? One thing I would like to bring up is, and that I shall bring up right now, is that Lucas Glover is 43 years old. And let's say he does make the Ryder Cup team this year. How many more Ryder Cups is Lucas Glover going to play in? And now I don't know if this logic that I'm about to just should be a consideration. Maybe it shouldn't be. But if you're Zach Johnson and you're looking at the succession of Ryder Cups and the building up of Team USA, there's an argument to be made. Get Cam Young in there, even if he's worse than Lucas Glover, right? Because Cam Young could be on Ryder Cup teams forever. Now, again, I don't know if that's how it should be. And I think there's a lot of people. And in fact, I've seen some of them on Twitter who would say that's like the, the opposite of what we you should do you should reward people who play well that year there shouldn't be these long-term considerations but i think part of the usa's uh, ascension and part of their success in recent years in the Ryder cup compared to the bad old days is that they've started to think about this stuff and they've started to treat everything like a corporation so there is that to consider and but like you said luke it does lead to a sort of i don't know if crony situation is the right word because i still think in their heads, they're doing what's best for the team. It's not like they're going to pick Justin Thomas or Ricky Fowler because, oh, we like them, and who cares if it's worse for the team? I think their logic would be, you know, we want these guys on because we know they're successful. We're going to have them forever. What good does it do us to leave Justin Thomas off? What good does it do us to put Lucas Glover on when he's going to play two sessions uh, instead of Cam Young, who's going to be one of our stalwarts maybe for the next two decades? So there's there's that stuff to think about too. And I don't, I don't know if they are thinking about it, but I, I can understand for sure if they are. It's also, and I, I'm with you, Luke, on the optics of cronyism. Justin Thomas is still 14th with one week to go in automatic qualifying, right? So we're not talking about a guy who's outside the top 25, someone who's just there off name recognition only. He's still, despite how bad he played the last three months, he's still in the totality of this qualification span, played pretty well. I also think he's really the only – now, you could say Ricky, uh, Ricky Fowler maybe also falls into that. But, again, Ricky's played well the past, what, two, three months. So, outside of that, it's not like we're talking about this huge wave of guys that would fall under favoritism. It's just a couple – it's really Justin Thomas we're talking about the cronyism thing, right? And even if it's just one guy, it's not like Thomas is this over-the-hill, riding on past glory name recognition. He's 30 years old. He, as we've discussed in a prior podcast, he's still on the trajectory to be the best U.S. team player um, in, in, in team history. If you're going to use Crony, like I, I understand the criticism, but I think this is one where you can at least counter the the criticism that would come with come with it. I guess I just bring it up, and I don't even full disclosure don't know if I believe what I'm kind of <laughs> talking about right now, but it is something I've been, th but it is something I've been thinking about because I kind of feel like 
US, uh, not US captains, excuse me, just Ryder Cup captains in general, generally won't pick rookies if they don't have to, right? They generally just go for what they know. And that the Lucas Glover over JT point is, is a good one, Shane. But then I could throw it back to you and be like, well, Sam Burns, right, is, is a rookie. He's Scotty Scheffler's closest friend on tour, maybe. So there's a natural partnership there. Probably a guy who's going to be in multiple Ryder Cup teams in the world, uh, in the future, excuse me, proven winner around the world. And he's probably going to miss out for a guy like Ricky. Um, Mm -hmm. again Mm -hmm. awesome player but just because of the same logic like we kind of know what we're getting with Ricky he's been good in Ryder Cups and I don't know I just I just wonder sometimes if I know the trend is maximize your captain's picks but I just wonder if that ends up being more of a reaction to a flawed qualification system than it does a, a a general like what fresh blood into this team thing because you could always happen what happened last time around where you pick all the old guys and they just and they just turn into duds over guys who are playing well in the moment, like a Matt Wallace back in France was a good example. Um, yeah. You know. yeah, no, I mean, it's, you're right. That, the logic I presented, you know, you can take it too far or maybe it's not too far, but it does get to a place where you go, ah, oh, Ricky's over the hill. You know, he hasn't shown <laughs> Let's get Sam Burns in there. You still have to win the Ryder Cup in front of you, right? So there is that to think about, but... I, I think with a guy like Glover, it's a little bit easier to say, you know, what's he really going to do for us in, in Italy? Let, let's, let's get Burns in there or Cam Young or somebody. So I want to uh, take a quick detour on based on something you said about rookies. I went, uh, we're doing an infographic for Golf Digest where I'm compiling a lot of Ryder Cup stats starting in 1983 because that's when, to me, the Ryder Cup truly became competitive. Uh, Team Europe started in like 79, but there were still two blowouts. Tony Jacklin took over in 83. That's the start of the modern era. Since then, U.S. Ryder Cup rookies are 113, 104, and 40. So they've got a winning percentage, pretty close to 500, but they've got a little bit of a winning percentage. European rookies are 78, 101, and 37. Does that surprise you to hear that? That, you know, Europe has a significantly worse percentage of rookies for a span of time where their record has been you know, better than the U.S. overall. Yeah, that is surprising. And, and I think the other interesting, surprising thing to come out of that um, data that you had compiled for this thing is the is at the top of the leaderboard. Like I always associated European teams with strength and or you know strength and depth. Like for, you push further down the rankings, those guys always you always get some diamonds who pop up and do something special, and you're less reliant on the top of the leaderboard. Where in reality, what the numbers show borne out is almost the opposite, right? Like where Europe's bread is buttered over time has been really strong performance from your strongest players and then you know covering the cracks elsewhere whereas that's honestly been the downfall of the u.s team in many ways too is that their number one two ranked players tiger Woods for all those years just always had the sense of underperforming in these Ryder cups and it's it's interesting how numbers can just highlight these these truths sometimes yeah looking at looking at the rank in the Ryder cup standing so like the person who's at the top of the ranking U.S. win percentage since 83 is 45%. Europe is 61%. Number two, it gets even worse. U.S. is 37%. Europe is 56%. Number three for Europe is better. Number four for Europe is better. You have to go down all the way to number five until you have a percentage that is higher. I'm sorry, you have to go down all the way to number six before you have a U.S. percentage that's higher. It's crazy how that works. And then by the time you get to U.S. percentage eight, you're over 50% and Europe's down to 39%. So 
I, yeah, there's a couple ways to look at it. I think one thing that you always hear from Europeans through the years is that they love taking on the big Americans. There's such pride in that, especially in the pairs matches. They, you know, the year Phil and Tiger were together, the Hal Sutton year, they they were just kind of like eyeballing that, that like let's you know jackknife the juggernaut here and and get these guys. And the stats they, they did show that they're giant killers. And to your point, Luke, their giants are just giants like they do quite well 61% for the top guy your Faldos your you know Montgomery's whoever it happens to be at the time it what's also interesting too on, on that stat is all right so let's let's use that to this year's list at least with Americans right three of the uh top six right now would be rookies and Wyndham Clark Brian Harmon Max Homa Cam Young would be a rookie so all of a sudden that's four of your top nine if you're kind of using that through that prism does that make you second guess that, hey, or do we really want to bring Lucas Glover in, who is going to be another rookie that we clearly have this track record that rookies do not do well here? Does that factor in at all to the Glover discussion, or do you kind of put those aside, numbers aside? Yeah, it is like an interesting, because I feel like Europe got really burned by this at the Hazeltine Ryder Cup. They just, you know, a bunch of rookies automatically qualified, and I feel like a hallmark of what Europe has always done. I don't know if this is like an analytics thing. I don't actually think it is. I think it's more like a cultural thing where they'll just pair a seasoned guy with a young guy and they'll field them early. You know, often yep. that'll be the construction. It's one of the first, definitely in the first session, usually in the first one or two groups, it'll be Rory and Peters or whatever. Um, you know, it'll just yeah. be that kind of construction. And they were starting to struggle to do that a little bit at that Hazel Team Ryder Cup because it was just so rookie heavy so you started seeing some of these like rookie rookie pairings going out in the afternoon and it just kind of disrupted the rhythm again i know it's a bit of a it's a bit of a hokey logic a little bit but i think there's something to that getting the balance right in this because you know a guy like lucas glover sure he could go well with brian home but there's two rookies going together and i don't necessarily know if that's setting either of them up for success um no. Just to be 100% clear, Joel, I, I, you may have misinterpreted the numbers. The U.S. has over 500 with rookies since 83. It's Europe who is well below 500. So, I mean, like Whistling Straits was a great example where the U.S. came with all these quote-unquote rookies, but they were all ready to go, and they had a tremendous Ryder Cup, right? I think probably before that it was close to 500, but those rookies lit the world on fire. For whatever reason, it's the European rookies that struggle more. So I, I don't know, you know, look, maybe it's a small sample size, but it is over 200 matches at this point. So uh, it's probably a little bit more than that. But yeah, Luke, you know, McGinley was somebody who struck that balance really well. We talked about, you know, Westwood versus with uh, Jamie uh, Donaldson, you know, Dubuisson with Graham McDowell. He had a couple pairs like that that really worked. But then even he had one with Poulter and Stephen Gallagher that flopped, right? That yeah. was a, a terrible one. So it's th this stuff is more, you know, art than science. I think it's sometimes you don't know what's going to happen when the rubber meets the road and the actual cup begins. So well, it's kind of hard, I think, to answer Joel's question. It's hard to read the tea leaves and go, well, we want to avoid rookies because some rookies are like, you know, Scheffler last time, right? Some, yeah. some rookies are like Morikawa where they're just going to be awesome. Um, and you just don't know. All right. Well, we could spend all day talking about the U.S. team's various problems. So um, in, the interest <laughs> of, uh, in the interest of being fair, uh, Shane, you kind of touched – well, not kind of touched on this. You literally – touched on this in your in your column that you're writing um just about alarmingly underwhelming week for europe out there in memphis um and especially like there's a bit of a 
of Fitz Crisis uh, brewing, which is actually something that I'm a little worried about because Matt Fitzpatrick is your, you know, he's played in multiple Ryder Cups. I know he hasn't had, he doesn't have the best record. He actually has the worst record. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> when it comes to his previous Ryder Cups, that said, he's been there before. Um, he's won a US Open now. He is a better player than he was. I was really thinking that we were going to be leaning on him this time around. And he's grinding, but just struggling, frankly. And I don't know, you kind of talked about this in your column, Shane. What, 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 are, we, what are we thinking, Fitzpatrick-wise, if you're European fan? Well, yeah, and you, you were there, Luke. And you see, you know, the cliff notes on Europe is that the top line guys played pretty well. Rory, Fleetwood, Victor Hovland, you know, John Rahm was kind of middling. But the guys were, if you're Luke Donald, you want to decide who's going to be on the team, Shane Lowry, uh, you know, like toward the bottom, those guys didn't play well at all. And Fitzpatrick, who we all say is someone who's going to be on the team, he's had a really rough last month. His Ryder Cup record is 0 5. He, <laughs> it's tough right now. I mean, like, I, you know, I, I emailed John Huggin because he's kind of a Euro expert on this stuff. And he was like, I don't know if he should be there. He's going to be like, oh, so will Lowry. Yeah. So will Lowry. But both of them are in a similar spot where it's like, you know, Fitzpatrick won a major more recently, but these guys are not inspiring confidence right now. Where if you're Donald, you know, okay, I don't have to worry about Rory. I don't have to worry about Rom. Maybe I can count on Victor Hovland, but I need these mid-level guys with experience to be there for me. I cannot have a middle lineup that does nothing, right? These guys are absolute must to play well, or Europe is going to get destroyed. And it's such a dagger, Joel, get to you a second, but I can just say it's just such a dagger because good Fitzpatrick, right, at the top of his game is such a good player to pair people with right? Mm. Especially mm. like when you rewind a year ago, because he hits the ball far enough now. He's so straight. He's got a good short game. He's a very well-rounded player when he's at his best. And you could pair him with all sorts of guys. He could be a solid guy. He would be good in alternate shot because he'd keep it in play and he'd make parts. He'd be good in best ball because <laughs> he makes parts and he keeps it in play. It's just, it's a really good guy to have at your disposal. And it's so frustrating as a European fan that, uh, you know, I'm not blaming Fitzpatrick. Of course, this is just golf, right? It goes up and it goes down, but, ah, uh, and it's like, it's, 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 uh, it's frustrating. And I, I feel bad for him that it's just not quite clicking right now. Joel, what, what's up with Fitzpatrick? Yeah. I mean, forget mid-level. I mean, he's, he's the number three guy, right? Essentially, if at least heading into the year, um, coming off that U S open win, not even the U S open win competing at Southern Hills in the PGA championship last year. Um, I would actually though push back his, his form doesn't or recent form doesn't bother me. I feel like he is a guy, even though he's added so much to his game over the past 18 months, he still is a guy who can only compete on X amount of venues and the venues he can't compete at. He just kind of, I don't say checks out, but he's not really in the mix at all. I think not only with Rome, but now that he's been in a couple of Ryder cups, as long as he's healthy, which was a question mark earlier this year, as long as he's healthy, I'm not really worried about him. Shane Lowry is a little bit more of a worry if I'm a European fan, just because he has looked so off this, this year. Um, I know some of that has to do with just not as many starts as you would hope out of him. Um, but I think Fitzpatrick is a guy, despite his, the results not being what they, what you'd want from him. I still think you can kind of count on him and, and feel, okay, you're going to get decent production from a, Suppose a frontline guy. Um, I, I would not be totally wor uh, worked up about his his performance. 
It's a good, uh, yeah, it's a good point about Lowry too, because once again, like when you don't, you know, Europe doesn't have, I do think their lack of depth is overblown, but that said, it's clearly not, you don't have Sam Burns at the bottom of the order on the European side, right? It's, it's thinner. And so what you need in that construction is you need Lowry, Fitzpatrick, Rahm, Hovland and Rory essentially to be your rocks. Um, and you can tag one of them in, tag one of them out. You know, now you have two of those guys not playing so well. And when you go by my strokes gained, you know, my strokes gained benchmark or whatever, Lowry's currently 31st and Fitzpatrick's 33rd. You know, they're right next to each other. And to give you a sense of the kind of players that they're around, it's Adam Schenk, Brendan Todd, mm. um, Steven Ye- Stefan Jaeger. It's, it's, you know, they're not, they're not playing to their full potential. I think there's Europe kind of has a track record of rising to the occasion in some of these but that said you really don't want to be you really don't want to be counting on these guys needing to rise to the occasion right um so I I guess all of which is to say I am getting slightly worried about those guys so Joel's confidence towards Fitzpatrick is making me feel a little better can I ask you a question Luke about Team Europe yes please do I sit here all day and talk about Team Europe no, I know. So you got Luke Donald saying over and over, you know, at the Wyndham, he probably said it since then, that there's wide open spots on this European team, right? And this is at the bottom, not necessarily guys like Lowry. However much we complain about them, he's probably got to take them. But at the bottom, you've got wide open spots. It's so difficult to handicap this stuff. Now, you've got three European tour events left before the, the picks happen. The first one is this coming weekend in Northern Ireland. Of the guys that I have on the bubble or with a chance to play in the bubble, three of them, Bob McIntyre, Victor Perez, and um, Adrian Otegui, are playing. Not playing, Yannick Paul, uh, Hoygaard's neither one, Matt Wallace is not playing, Alex Noren's not playing, Shane Lowry's not playing. What's with these guys not playing? Like Yannick Paul especially, Yannick Paul's right on McIntyre's tail when it comes to qualifying for that third European spot. But any of these guys, if they want to make the Ryder Cup, you would think they would want to take every opportunity they can get. None of these guys are playing. It, it, it's like bananas to me. I'm sure they'll play in the Czech Masters and, and the Irish Open or whatever is after that one, but you've got a chance right here, guys. Like, Bob McIntyre could run away with this thing this week. I, I don't know. I just thought it was so surprising that they're not having more guys in there. Especially because McIntyre... So McIntyre's currently in because he's third in the European point standing. Yes. But that spot is far from secure. Any number of players could catch it, you know? Like, genuinely. He's, he's a well, y- Yannick, Paul, Yannick Paul's right, so close to him. Yeah. I, I can't believe Yannick Paul's not playing. I know. McIntyre's at 1,700 points. Paul's at 1,600 points. Moronk's at 1,600. I, I kind of get the um, the Seamus, uh, excuse me, I kind of get the um, Shane Lowry one. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I, th- sure. I think, the, you know, I've talked to a few people in his circle and he he's he's knows he's in, but he's not happy about how he's playing. That's kind of the vibe, right? But a guy sure. like Ategui is, I'm probably butchering his name, um, but Adrian Ategui, he... I don't know, or Hogard? Like, why aren't you pitching up this week? I would just be throwing everything at the wall to try to sneak in, to sneak in here. Moronk would be the first Polish player, right? I mean, there's history on the line here in some cases. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's a little wild to me. Yeah. It, it doesn't help that Yannick Paul's not a real person. That yeah. could be one reason he's not competing. They've kept the fiction going this long, Joel. Why can't they keep it going? And they're... <laughs> In their defense, that they do have a 
pretty important stretch on the DP World Tour, right? The Czech Masters, the European Masters, I believe the Irish Open after that, and then the, at Wentworth. So you can't play all of those, especially given they're they're kind of uh, scattered out. So that would be the only maybe pushback. But you're right if you're if you are one of those guys looking for that European spot, given how McIntyre's. Um, it's far from secure, and let's be honest. Well, Rory and Ram have already qualified on their spot, so it is a little, it is a little odd. I don't, I don't quite understand it. Um, but hey, that, that that could lead to more more volatility. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out here in the next two weeks. Now, do they get to play? Do, so real quick, do they get to play those other three events before the picks? Are the picks before or after the Irish Open? Isn't it before Wentworth, I believe? Yeah, Wentworth, I know, doesn't count. It's the Irish Open. Yeah. That's the question. So there's three more after this week, in mm-hmm. other words. So there's four four more tournaments before the Europeans make their picks. Okay, yeah, so if you can I, play, in, if you can play in three. Open, and then they pick, I believe. Okay, got it. Got it. <laughs> it would be helpful if a Ryder Cup podcast knew when the European team makes it. Well, no, it's a little, it is a little, <laughs> like, believe it or not, it's kind of hard to find. It's hard to find. The U.S. The US picks after the Tour Championship. That's simple. Yeah, I know the Euros pick. I think the Euros pick September 3rd, yes, which, or September. It does not count. It does but, not count. But this is kind of one of those weird, not weird things, but the Ryder Cup means everything to us, right? Uh, the problem is, the DP World Tour, those purses and those events we just mentioned are nothing compared to what's going to be on the line at the Irish Open and at Wentworth. So if you're looking for an event to skip, even with the Ryder Cup tentacles to it, it's this is probably the event to skip. It's only, I think, a, a million and a half dollar purse prize fund. Man, that's that's pretty low. Pretty low what's on the line this week. So doesn't in that regard, maybe it's a little more explainable why these guys are passing. Well, I think it shows a lack of strokes gained heart. It's a lack of right. negative strokes gained heart from Moronk, Paul, and all those guys who are skipping. Brian Harmon's on a plane over there right now. Brian Harmon's going to play it. <laughs> he's already qualified, but he's playing. Justin That's Thomas is playing it. <laughs> well, while we are airing grievances about things we don't understand, um, I don't understand <laughs> the anti-Stracker vibe that flurries up at any given moment. It flurried up, Shane, in your column once again, you know, the, oh, you didn't play well stuff. I I feel like, you know, Europe's not in this, doesn't have the strongest team down the order. To me, a guy like Strack is a godsend. And America, you know, he's a, <laughs> it's a high draw. He's powerful. He's a good ball striker. He's young. He's, he's good. Like, and it seems like European fans are just not getting on board with him in any way, shape or form. And the second he plays well, the questions start popping up about him. And- there was, I, don't, I don't want to call it a backdoor because he played so well at Royal Liverpool. But at no point did anyone think Seb Straka was going to win the Open. So, you know, that T2 finish was great. It's kind of like a T2 for history, right? Um, the fact that his only wins were at the John Deere Classic and a, and a very watered-down Honda Classic probably don't help. But I think there's also just there's certain athletes who you're pulled toward that have like magnetic personalities, and I think people just don't really know much about Seb Straka personally. And that some of those other names you might have a little bit more of a history with. I think it just comes down to sometimes you don't know, sometimes you either don't know the guy or just some guys don't have you know, it like Brooks Kepka, right? That was his thing for years. Even when he was winning majors, there was still that dissonance between fans and Brooks. Not saying that's anywhere near Seb's case, but there's just some people you want to pull for. And as of at this moment, there's just not 
much familiarity with fans in Substrap. I think that's all it comes down to. Maybe yeah. a little bit like Bern Wiesberger almost, right? Like, isn't there like kind of a similar thing where literally an Austrian guy who people are just kind of, you know, in the last Ryder Cup, not super excited about? Yeah, it's probably one of these funny things. So, you know, my mom's American. I'm an American citizen, for instance. And what I get a bit of is that in England, people think you're American. And in America, people think you're English, you know? And so you're caught somewhere over the Atlantic. Um and, and I want to be—I want to be really clear that I don't have any problem with Seb Straka playing for Europe, and I consider him like a legitimate European citizen, to- right? No, totally. Like totally, that, that's I, not what I'm saying. I'm just exploring no. the dynamic, and I, I can see that. And I, I bet you, Seb Straka would say the same exact thing, Luke. About in Austria, I'm an American, and in America, I'm not really part of that either, or something Shane, like that. Shane, your 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 hatred for Austrian golfers runs deep. We don't need to establish <laughs> that any, any don't, further. Don't put that on me. Don't put that on me. <laughs> well, no, but in all seriousness, I do think it's like you're caught in this spot in a little bit where you're just like without your hardcore Stracker contingent who is just like going to die for you because I don't know if you know I Georgia Bulldog fans probably love him but it's you just it's just you get caught somewhere in between I think and there's no one in Stracker's corner um Joel the one guy though I did want to ask you about before we move on to the final segment was really bummed out about Seamus Power um, he's got one more crack of the whip this week, but oh, he, yeah, he, he's PJ Tour winner, did some damage in the fall, and he's just really not done much since. I actually talked to him down in Memphis, and he's just working through some stuff on a swing. He's really grinding. It's this, he almost feels like he's one of these players who's like locked in a cycle where he's trying so hard to fix it, and that keeps putting too much pressure on it, which keeps breaking it, which keeps him trying. And uh, I don't know, what from your seat in the house, what do you think of a guy like Seamus? Yeah, and heck, even pretty late in the spring, I thought this is like a really good addition to the European team. And there's a lot to like about his game. But where he is at right now, if you start looking it through, okay, where did he do his damage? You look at the fields, obviously they weren't great. Uh, kind of the lack of track record coming in, it, it doesn't help. I, I Listen, if he plays well in the next couple of weeks that's man what what a what a feather in europe's cap because there's not a lot of weak when he's playing well there's very few weak points in his game i think he's a guy who you can pair with a lot of different people but yeah right now i think that was a guy heck even going into the u.s open you probably still had on the bubble he unless something special happens in the next couple of weeks i just don't see him see him being, being in the conversation yeah, I mean, he finished T9 and T12 at the at the PGA and US Open last year and just missed three cuts out of four this year and just been struggling. Um, yeah, it's a real rally killer. Maybe he'll turn it on. Who knows? But um, I think that actually leads us to our nice final idea that I had. And I wanted to, us to run through the uh, the best case and worst case scenarios for each team. So we're not talking about, you know, like a, a strange virus which breaks people's legs, leveling, uh, you know, sidelining them for the Ryder Cup. We're not talking about anything weird. I hope there's no virus. <laughs> the leg-breaking virus. <laughs> leg Way worse than COVID-19. It would be, would be horrible. Um, yes. It would be horrible for a Ryder Cup spectrum. So reasonably, uh, what would we say is the best-case scenario, starting with Team U.S. Uh, for the final – three weeks you know there's three weeks left what's a reasonable best case scenario for zach johnson shane let's start with you 
Okay, first of all, I would want to keep Brooks Kepka in the sixth spot if I was Zach Johnson. I wouldn't want to have to make that decision. I know you think it's an easy decision, and everybody on Twitter says it's an easy decision, but you know, if I'm, you know, these PGA Tour loyal guys, like a lot of these captains are, Fred Couples, Davis Love, Zach Johnson, you got he keeps his cards close to the vest, but he probably feels the same way. I wouldn't want to make that call. Okay, so that would be number one. I want Kepka to be there because he's got to be on the team, and I want him to be automatically qualifying. Um yeah, the next thing, I mean, I, I think you want Brian Harmon to stay up there so you don't have to make that call because that's a mm. really, really difficult call. That's actually one where if Brian Harmon somehow slips off, he might be off the team. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's tough. That's really tough. So I would want – look, here's the guys I want on my team once you get past the automatic qualifiers. I want Shoffley. I want Spieth. I want Cam Young. I want Morikawa. I want Ricky Fowler. And I want Justin Thomas. That's simple, right? So I want all those guys to play well and everybody else to stink. <laughs> it's really it's really that's it i mean like because you know I, like i wrote in my piece today the problem with justin thomas right now is he doesn't get any more pr right he doesn't he's done he's done unless he goes to europe which i don't think that's going to happen he's got nothing else so everybody keeps creeping up on him and we underestimate what it's like just not to have your name mentioned at all and this last week was interesting like a lot of people played well who are kind of bubbly type guys so you know bradley did not have such a great week i would want that to continue if i were zach johnson so he doesn't complicate my life i would want sam burns who didn't have a great week in fact you know in, in some ways you could argue it was a pretty good week for zach johnson the only problem is now he's got to think about lucas glover so i would want lucas glover to cool off a little bit so I, I would have my six guys that i think everybody knows he probably wants and i would have you know everybody else play poorly and that make it a nice easy decision for me joel what would you add in terms of a best case scenario i think Basically what Jane said, maybe someone like Ricky Fowler pulling out, just someone who was on the bubble, but we kind of all know that's he's probably in just to take that decision out of his hands. Um, I, I do push back a little bit on the Brooks Kepka thing. I, I, I think I don't think it's just Twitter people saying he's in. I mean, a, a win at the PGA and a runner up to, in, to coupled with pretty good play at, on live this year. You can't overlook that. I, I, I just think not only with how he's played, but I do think with all the external stuff going on in the world of golf excluding a live guy that good and that inform i think that just opens up such a can of worms brooks is at least respected by everybody else he didn't burn any bridges when he left he's a pretty it's an easy swallow to have brooks in your team as a potential captain's pick so that's the only thing i would yeah it would be great if he's finished the top six if he finishes seventh i don't think that's the end of the world i don't think that complicates things um to any degree um, but yeah, outside of the top six or seven guys winning, I think Ricky is the only one maybe that would make life a little bit easier for yeah. Jack Johnson. Ricky winning the BMW would be just probably such a godsend, right? <laughs> like, and then you can just pick JT and get on your way. Um, and then Joel, let's stick with you in terms of a reasonable worst case scenario here. Um, you know, the two tournaments left before he has to make this pick, what, if you could cook up the thing that Zach Johnson doesn't want to see happen, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, let's be careful, right? We don't want to say worst case scenario and kill, you know, kill somebody for like, no, no. we're talking about, we're talking about worst case gives Zach Johnson a headache, you know, some guy who maybe deserves to be on, doesn't get on because there's only 12 spots to go around. That's what we're talking about. here. Correct. And I think the worst case scenario is somebody doing basically what Lucas Glover has done the next two weeks. And let's say Lucas Glover stays relatively hot. Let's say Lucas Glover finishes like T3 and T3. <laughs> but 
Adam Tank wins the next two events or someone like the gala or, you know, somebody like that, Russell Henley. And all of a sudden now, like it's, you well, can now on what if, well, that, Fina, that was the, you know, one that would, that would complicate things so much because he just, <laughs> he just almost finished last. Right. I mean, he was pretty bad in Memphis. You can absorb, absorb is the right word. It's easy to defend having one hot guy who kind of came out of nowhere at the end to then maybe put him on the team, especially if he's still around the fire. If someone comes way out and then makes a late push as you're already dealing with this numbers crunch, especially as it, when it comes to Justin Thomas, that's when things can get really difficult for Zach Johnson. And there's no, again, this is, this is the one uh, hindsight is such a weapon when it comes to Ryder cup picks. Uh, and I, I think this is something that the more options you have, the, the bigger potential of, of you know, Monday morning quarterbacking can happen after Rome. I think that's kind of the worst case scenario for, oh, you know, aside from everyone getting sick or hurt. Um, yeah. I think that's kind of, that's something Zach Johnson does not want to see. Shane, you agree? Yeah, you know, Chicago winner, Denny McCarthy. Second place, Keegan Bradley. Third place, Lucas Glover. Fourth place, Sam Burns. <laughs> then you're talking about then you're talking about life getting real complicated and then for like, Zach Johnson. Heath Tagala shoots 59 or something. <laughs> Heath Tagala shoots three 59s and then has to, like, a family emergency, so he has to leave, but everybody knows he would have won. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, th- yeah, that's that's the thing, right? I mean, it's pretty like pretty much the opposite of the first scenario. Like the guys who are bubble that you don't want on the bubble, they start surging and then you're uh, then you're going to the, the you know, the war house or whatever, the, the war room and, and things get really difficult. You know, what one thing I would love to happen that happens all the time in the Olympics or World Baseball Classic, and I guess even in golf, since it's happened to Rory Sabatini, I love what I would hope someone would switch allegiances like, oh, yeah, I just found out my grandmother was born there. I'm like eligible for Europe. That would love like, let's say Thomas doesn't make it. And he's like, oh, yeah, it turns out I was born in Northern Ireland. And <laughs> yeah, I would something like that to juice it up a little bit. The um the Shane Ryan, if you Google Shane Ryan, uh, the first one that comes up and has a Wikipedia page is a swimmer who's American, but is something like that, like a, some relation that's Irish. And so he's swum multiple times for Ireland in the Olympics. So there's my, my namesake has done that very thing, Joel. I have always wondered for dual citizens, how it works. Do you get the option? You know, I, 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 I don't actually know how that works. Yeah. I think yeah. you get the option. It's like, it's like how Naomi Osaka in tennis plays for Japan. You know, there's like certain things. So if I, I think was like much when, better at golf and I hadn't declared, you know, if I sure. played on a Walker Cup team, I could choose which side to play on. And a lot of times what it comes down to is in the in youth, you know, mm-hmm. oh, this country is going to offer us resources, right? Like the great irony of um, <laughs> of Wimbledon, the year they banned Russian players, is that a Russian woman won, whose name is escaping me right now, but she f- played under the flag of Kazakhstan, even though she was like born in Moscow because Kazakhstan gave her money and training and took her under their wing. And so it's like, it was Rabakina, um, Elena Rabakina. So it's like the year Wimbledon banned Russian players, a Russian one. <laughs> but, like, but she just happened to be under the flag of a different country. So it really, it really usually comes down to resources. And like Straka would be an interesting one. I, I, I'd be, I should know his story, but I'm, there, there may be a, a similar thing where, you know, Austria said, yeah, you can have all these resources. That was certainly what happened for Naomi Osaka in tennis and in Japan when, you know, it's a lot less crowded than the U.S. women's market. Yeah, in soccer, you basically, you, you have to declare, um, but you can sort of reset. So you get these weird situations where um, this guy, Diego Costa, former Chelsea striker, is an absolute monster, but they're like 100% uh, 
he was 100% um, Portuguese, right? Like just completely uh, Portuguese. And he uh, got, he played for Brazil. Because, uh, excuse me, I'm getting it reversed. He played for Brazil because, and he, even though he was 100% Brazilian, played for Portugal because he had never gotten capped for his actual national team and then earned citizenship in the meantime then declared for the other. So, um, yeah. I don't know, there's all these interesting things. Anyway, let's buzz through the final worst case. What's the worst case scenario for Team Europe? Um, Shane, let's start with you. God, it's, you know, the funny thing is, I don't know that there is a worst case scenario because they have all their guys that they're, we already know who's making the team. And then when you look at everybody else, it's just whoever plays better, it seems like, over the end. And I'm not sure, like, oh, gosh, I want Moronk over McIntyre, right? Like, I don't really have a strong opinion on the rest of their guys. It's like, yeah, Yannick Paul not making it over Adrian Otegui. I Like, I don't know. That's, you know, maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. I have no clue. But I'll tell you, Hatton, Fitzpatrick, Lowry, Rory, Rom, Victor Hovland, those guys are all on the team, right? So, like we said, we're not talking about injuries or anything like that. So, I, I'm kind of neutral on Europe. I think, I think we won't know till afterward. You know what I mean? Um, and I'd have to know more about the inner workings to know, like, you know, maybe these guys really want Victor Perez or some, someone like that, right? We don't really mm-hmm. quite know what their innermost desires are there. Joel, what do you reckon? Is there, is there a clear worst-case scenario for, for, for Team Europe? Are we, are we just currently to, As Shane was talking, I was trying to see how long Rory's been living in the United States, if he could actually reclassify as American. Um, aside from that, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with Shane. I, I think I, this isn't hard, but from what I've heard, they, the, the European brass would really like to see McIntyre in that third spot. Um, I think they think his game can play really well in this format. Um, obviously, we've kind of already talked about how Moronk played at the Hero Cup earlier this year. So having him, if it's not one of those two, I think maybe it can get a little maybe iffy for uh, the Europeans. But that's still only one spot. And the guys who are kind of in that whatever three or four through eight range, they're not exactly duds by any means. So I don't think the Europeans are in a bad spot coming up these next couple of weeks. Yeah, well, worst case is like uh, Fitzpatrick doesn't really turn it around and Hovland starts playing bad or something, right? Like that would be pretty bad. Yeah, like your worst uh, case, yeah, like John, John, I will say this, like John Rahm going cold would be horrific for oh, you. Yeah, that would be really I bad. mean, like this is a guy that we talked about Europe being top heavy. When their good guys play well, they win. I mean, if you saw how you saw how critical it was at Whistling Straits that Rory wasn't there, right? Like that was a really, really big deal. If Rory yeah, or yeah. Rahm if Rory or Rom are not both like three and one or four and one, there's, there's trouble there. So you hate to see what happened in Memphis. You kind of, it's not that big a deal with Rom, but you're kind of, eh, you put a little flag on it and you go, I hope he plays a little bit better in Chicago. And then again, in Atlanta. And and then best case is what just the opposite, right? Joel, like further down the order, someone just starts really playing well. Yeah. I think, I mean, yeah. Hatton's on Fleetwood's on. Yeah, I think seeing a little bit of life maybe off Fitzpatrick would be good. Um, other than that, it's uh, – you know, I think what would be interesting if – especially in Europe, that one of the Hogarth twins really kicks it on. I think there's still enough interest there that they're in the running. I think making that just a conversation would be a really good thing for the Europeans um, rather than feel like, you know what, like this, this 12th pick doesn't really matter. No one's really excited about it. If you can get some interest in those final picks, I think it could really – Make, make it a bit of a more formidable team than it might seem on paper at the moment. Yeah. I think, Shane, I think, think? Yeah, I was going to say, I just think from Luke Donald's perspective, probably what he would like is to have enough people impress him that he feels the picks are made for him so that he's not, not blindly throwing darts, right? Like Morocco's and win the Czech Masters. You know, Victor Perez goes and wins 
the whatever the next tournament is before the Irish Open, European Masters. Um, that I think, you know, I, I think, and not just from, you know, not just because it makes his life easy. I think he wants to see people step up and impress him where he goes, okay, not only do you impress me, but you're going out in the first session, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, it would be, I, I mean, it seems like, as you said earlier, um, the top 10, if we include Bobby Mack, I, I kind of think the top nine of Ram, McElroy, Hovland, Hatton, Fleetwood, Fitzpatrick, Stracker, Lowry, and honestly, at this point, Rose, they kind of all pick themselves. I think Bobby Mack, there's just enough goodwill there. People people want him in. Um, everyone seems to be on the like Moronk train because he's won there, which I get and stuff. It would be so clutch if someone like Thomas Detry just starts playing <laughs> super well. Or, yeah. you know, James Bauer. Like if he just wins one and shows up in the top five in another, like that, that I do think that's like the real hole is that you're starting to like the bottom of the team, you're starting to give guys like Bobby Mack and um, Moronk like the benefit of the doubt. Like, yeah, they seem like they'd be all right. But then there's like a real obvious hole in the 12 spot. Um, and so Alex Noren going out and winning would be just super clutch, I think. Um, yep. yep. But all right, another episode of Ryder Cup Radicals in the books. We're doing these weekly now, right, boys? So we'll be back. We'll be back next week to break down all the all the latest developments in Ryder Cup world. Joel, Shane, thanks so much. See you next time. Hopefully next time with fancy coffee. <laughs>